A few years ago, I got sent a demo by a then-unknown Belgian techno artist to my label Turbo Recordings, and I signed it, and I thought I was pretty cool. And I, well, I guess I'd like to pretend I knew what would happen next, but I'm not sure I did. Anyway, fast forward a few years, and Charlotte DeWitt, who was that at the time, unknown artist, is one of the biggest DJs in the world, one of the most loved techno DJs on earth. In fact, recently voted number one alternative DJ on the planet. I'm not 100% sure what alternative means. I definitely know what number one means. On this episode of Last Party on Earth, I was given the chance to sit down with Charlotte and discuss her career uh, her love of music, her love of techno. We get into DJing, uh, how to build a career, social media, mm, a little bit of her past. But mostly, we really just, it was an absolute pleasure for me to sit down and talk to someone who is, let's just say there was not a drop of cynicism. There was no retro, there was no nostalgia, there was no how things used to be. It really, really, really was. Uh, a pleasure for me to talk to someone successful, excited, passionate, um, and very honest and very focused on their career, their relationship to the crowds, uh, and the relationship to music. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Charlotte de Witt. I'd like to add that uh, it was recorded a few months ago in the dead of winter, in the middle of the pandemic. So obviously, like always, uh, there's always a little bit of a gap between what we thought and knew at the time and now, you know, with regards to, well, the ever-changing landscape of when parties will reopen and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I loved this conversation. It was really good. And it was good for me. I learned a lot. <laughs> uh, Charlotte explained a few things that were uh, that I wish someone had told me clearly many, many years ago. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Last Party on Earth. Last, last party. Are you born in Ghent? I'm born in Ghent, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about Ghent. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's so much history in Ghent with, with R&S records and the history of techno and, and, I mean, Belgium in general, but Ghent specifically. So what, what was it like growing up there? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Ghent is it's a wonderful city. It's, it's, it's very small. It's easy to walk around. It's very beautiful. It's this medieval buildings around. So, um, yeah, I always just loved walking around in Ghent. So I've lived in Ghent. I've lived around Ghent. But I went to school in Ghent. I went to university in Ghent. So, you know, it's just always, uh, it's always been my hometown. So it's a great city, a very creative city as well. Always plenty of opportunities for nightlife and for creative people. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a very good place. I love it. Yeah, it always reminded me a lot of Montreal, actually, where it was kind of like, you're not a central city. You get kind of the benefits of being a big city without the pressure of a big city. So you could, it gives you a lot of freedom, I think, to develop. Yeah. I get, I get what you're saying, because when I was in Montreal a couple of times that I've been there, it also had, to, especially like this, this chill atmosphere about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's laid back and it's a little bit weird. You know, you're allowed to be a bit weird. It's not yeah. as straight as, you know, I don't know, Brussels or Antwerp. It's a bit more rigid, I think. Ghent, I always, it always struck me as a little bit of a, you could be a bit of a freak there, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you were young... How aware were you of like the techno history, the the techno culture and the DJ culture that's very strong? Uh, I think I think it definitely played a part, but it took me some time to uh, to to discover electronic music. I mean, as a kid, I moved to uh, a town a bit outside of Ghent, and I mean, when you're 14 years old and you start going to your first parties, um, they play music like Ao, Captain Jack, and those kind of uh, <laughs> music and wrong pop music. But I think it's at the age of 16, 17 when I uh, when I uh, changed schools. 
and I went started going to school back in in Ghent, and I also started discovering nightlife there. So I think that's the the about the age when it hit me, you know, the what the nightlife of Ghent is and this entire night culture and also the history of it all because as soon as you start listening to electronic music you start uh yeah on online searches and you find uh bonsai cherry moon like the entire mm. history of, of belgium and the role it played this new beat culture of obviously yeah. rns as well then soul wax so it's pretty cool to discover all those things when you're young so it, it makes me always really proud to say that i'm from ghent so when i guess when you're 16 was there a particular, is there a particular night where you remember? I know for me, it was always like, there's a night where you go home and you're like that. I want that. I want that in my life. I want to be a DJ or I, or I, was there a moment which just changed you or, or set your course? Yeah, I think so. I think you had like a couple of clubs around in Ghent. Um, one of them was Decadence. Uh, fortunately, now it, it doesn't exist anymore. And I, I sound very old when I say this, but it's it's not even that long ago. It's only don't you worry you, for for this conversation. <laughs> you're the you're the young one. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but I think there was also this place in Ghent uh, called the Makeup Club, and it, they played a bit more underground music, uh, electronic music. Lots of electro artists uh, played there as well, like Crookers back in the days. Oh yeah, Crookers. Um, so really, yeah. So those guys from yeah that were a thing, um, especially yeah 10 11 years ago and i just remember going there and discovering that kind of music and just being fascinated by it and i never really thought i wanted to be a dj but i was just really fascinated in 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 how this music worked so that's also when when i eventually started making some home mixes initially to just mm. listen to by myself um and yeah that, that just got out of hand so uh yeah so style wise what was the progression musically in your life from as early as you can go? So was is it like pop and then mixed electronic and techno came later or is it all jumbled up? Oh, I think as a teenager, I was I was basically listening to the stuff they played on the radio. Um, do yeah, buying some some CDs at like some some Linkin Park, some Nickelback CDs, uh, some okay. some pop music, <laughs> so a bit of a bit of everything. It's the first time on the show anyone said Nickelback. So congr I'm not congr I'm, congratulations. I'm not surprised and I'm not ashamed. <laughs> good, good, good. Never, I'm, you should never, nobody should ever be ashamed for, for music they like. No, I don't think so. I mean, we've all, we've all been on our own path. And I mean, yeah, when I discovered electronic music, obviously this whole new world opens. But as a DJ, I first played Electro. So Kruger's about the Bloody Beatroots, Mastercraft, Errol Alcom, those, those kind of guys. Um, but then I was 17, so that was really my first touch with electronic music. And it's only after digging deeper that I found this entire realm of techno. So I just very gradually went into all of that. While I can imagine that kids nowadays, they just listen to EDM and, and to them, that's their electronic music world or something. I don't know. For me, it was already a big step to discover electronic music because where I discovered Electro, it was already quite underground, so... One of the reasons I was excited to talk to you, well, there are a few reasons. Number one is because you love techno, and I love techno, and I feel when I get the chance to talk to someone who really loves techno, I find it quite relaxing, you know, it's like a similar language. And, uh, and also, too, you know, you're, you're, you're at an exciting point in your career where I, I assume there's a lot of optimism and excitement and stuff. And it's, it's nice to talk to someone in that position. But as far as techno goes, it's interesting how people arrive at techno. You know, when certain elements get stripped back, whether it's some of the vocals or some of the pop elements start to disappear and more appreciation of the repetitiveness. And, and it's something, I feel like it's something quite personal. Some people really love techno. You know, and, and other people not so much. So it's interesting to see the, if you, you started with kind of, you went first through that like high impact electro style and then got to, I guess, a slightly more stripped down techno. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, also maybe about my musical journey. Um, also my friends where I used to live, they took me to, to raves and to also acid core and core and psytrance parties in the woods. So I think 
I've first been indulged with all these electronic music experiences and in the end like I ended up with with techno which is the thing that I I love the most. It's interesting actually you say side trance parties in the woods because so side trance gets a pretty bad reputation in a way you know people a lot of people kind of look down on it but I I used to also go to side trance parties in the woods and parties in Goa and I thought they were incredible and it's funny because some of the tracks you sent me especially in the past few years in a lot of, as some of the techno's gotten faster and faster, I hear some of those side trance elements, you know, very fast kind of thin kick drums and a lot of squiggly acid lines. And it, it has a definite side trance feel to it, which is, which is interesting that that's kind of seeped into some of the techno. Yes, yes, I agree. And that's also the thing that fascinates me a lot when I'm searching for tracks or uh, listening through promos. It's like that, that sweet spot between techno, which is the main thing, but also influenced by this, this techno, some, like, sometimes even some, some core, some hardcore elements, these psytrance elements. It's like this, the, the soup of those kind of ingredients. Yeah. They hit a very sweet spot for me. I think a lot of techno DJs have their version of a sweet spot. Like where, where it's techno foundation with something else. Some people, I know for me, I'm always looking for techno foundation, but somehow not too boring. Mm. I need some, something that pulls it out a little bit. And anyway, we'll, we'll probably get to that later. Okay. So, <laughs> so the idea of the show is, I created it a while back, and it was called Last Party on Earth. The idea was a little bit based around, you know, uh, all my friends who are DJs, you know, what what are you going to do in the future or what would you do if it was the end? And now there's this crazy situation, obviously, where a lot of people did play their last party or, or their last party for a while. So and so now it's a little bit also like what will happen when the first party comes back. Mm-mm. What is for you uh, your last party ever? What would be an opening record? Um, well, often in my sets, but also especially for podcasts that I for, that I do and also um, like mixes that I did for the residency on BBC Radio 1 for instance I always love starting uh, a set with something more ambient, uh, beatless something ominous that sort of sets the vibe like you know it's just something darkish something that's creeping in and then what mm-hmm. I love doing especially if I'm in front of the crowd is just slamming in with it that with that first kick that just destroys the floor and then you know like okay we're in for two hours of energy so it's like this big contrast of this creeping in ambient sound effect soundscapes with an um yeah a, a big impact uh kickoff so you like and so you generally like to set a new mood, cleanse the palette, and then start. Yeah, actually, it's, it's funny because um, when I was preparing this, uh, I, I, I shortly listened to uh, the one you did with Carl Cox. And okay. I remember that you also discussed it there, like what do you do as a DJ and also the DJ after you? Do you stop the music? Do you do, yeah, you, yeah. do you take over? <laughs> and it's a very interesting discussion. I mean, but usually what I do is... Yeah, I, I usually ask the, uh, ask the DJ before me to stop the music and then like give the people a bit of time to, to breathe, also to thank the DJ who's playing before me and uh, yeah, to just create a new story that hopefully matches somewhat with the DJ who was playing before me as well. But it's, uh, I think it's, it's good to start with an intro. It's what I usually do. Something I also want to talk to you about is, you know, to me, you're, you're like the next generation. DJ, like, well, at least compared to me, you're, you're part of the new generation. A lot of things have changed, you know, the, the cultural things have changed. Let's say th- that's a good example. The idea of how, how you start a set, how much you integrate with the person before you versus how much is it an isolated performance. That has changed a lot. And I think it is more about uh, a specific performance. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just in the end, you should always respect the flow of the night and then do realize that taking it down again, it, it's a pause. But I think the main reason why I do it is because I know that if I take that pause and then I start with that, with that first powerful track, I know that the energy will be renewed and refreshed a bit. So that's also a part of it. It's sort of like giving them the time to breathe for a, a brief two minutes, you know, that... that that intro moment. I also think there's confidence in it. I think a lot of the time, I think the DJs that just kind of play all the way through, sometimes they act like that's out of some kind of respect, but I think also underneath it, 
is a little bit of a hiding, you know, it may be, maybe hiding a little bit, whereas if you're confident in what you're doing and people came to see you and you have a sound you want to present, well, yes, why not? Boom, mm. here it is. The theatrical, you know, the curtains open, pause, here we go. Yeah, maybe, but on the other hand, I would feel comfortable mixing in with someone who is mixing the same style of music. If I would have to mix in and the track is too tricky, I would feel very insecure as well. So maybe breaking it down is also a sign of, uh, you know, just being comfortable, more comfortable and not, yeah. and not taking this challenge. So, I mean, you can look at it from, from both ways. Um, but yeah, I think to me, it's more about this, this moment of pause. You're a, you're, a, you're a professional. That's something I wanted to ask you was, Okay, so I try not to talk about myself, but it doesn't always Please work. Please do. So, okay, well, so around the time you were born, I went to New York and I saw Jeff Mills DJ, and I was very, very young, and it completely changed my world and changed my life, and I wanted to be a DJ. And at that time, one of the things, it's not that long ago, and a lot of stuff hasn't changed, but one thing that changed was I, I never really saw it as a career. You know, I, because I didn't, we didn't really have like role models. There was no business structure, really. It didn't, it didn't seem like it could be a real career with, with managers and, and money. And, it, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing you could present to your parents as like, hey, I'm going to be a DJ, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then over the years, that gradually changed. I mean, it just evolved a lot to the point where it's now much more a real thing, you know, with just when you did the little pause and I said, you're professional, you know, you always struck me as someone who was very professional, very good to work with and, and who had a, it seemed like early on had a vision of not just the, the music, but also of the career. Is that, is that something you decided on early in terms of, you know, having a manager or that you had definite goals of where you wanted it to go? Um, well, not really actually because i just i started this to, to dj eventually and i got some pretty big opportunities from the start by winning a dj contest and that put me on tomorrowland when tomorrowland was also still growing and then that put my name out there in belgium so i got very lucky from the start but mm. i always just i was just going with the flow but i think a big difference in my story is that i got to work with my manager alexander from uh, yeah now we've been working together for 11 years so he found me at the very beginning of everything. So he was always there to, to, to guide me and to be yeah. this, this, to have this, you know, business philosophy and this business mind on, on things in which I mean that he was just very wise and he knew what to do when it came to guiding my career, but I could just go with the flow and follow my feelings into things. So I, I think I've been very fortunate to do that. Like yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. So it's not, so it's not really so much a cultural thing as much as a little bit of good luck. Basically insulated you, gives you the chance to, to do your thing. I think so. Yes. Yeah. That's the dream. God, I wish I had a manager. <laughs> super young. Yeah, no, I, th I think I've been very lucky. And also, I mean, now it's, in, it's an 11 year working relationship. I mean, I was 17, now I'm 28. So I changed so much as a person. So did he, but I mean, it's, a, it's, it's quite a strong bond that you create throughout the years. So uh, it's, it's, it's good to have it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of the time when people look at careers from the outside and they wonder why some go further than others and why some last longer than others, and people, obviously, they, they look at the things they can see. So they try to judge talent or they try to judge... But, what they, but oftentimes it's the things they don't see. It's the team and the decisions behind that really make the difference. And if you're lucky, like same here, I've had, I have an amazing relationship with my manager. It's been a long time. And yeah, those are the, that's the difference in the end. A lot of the time, it's the people you're working with. Yeah, it does. And also to have people backing you up, people who are taking care of the things that in a normal touring year, uh, your, your mind is just too ex exhausted to take care of. So I'm, I'm very fortunate with the entire team that I have right now. So it does make a big difference. Yeah, I, I agree. Speaking of touring, I'm not going to get into the whole pandemic thing because it's a bit, as far as the break, how's your overall well, let's say your anxiety level, like how do you, are you like super relaxed or are you anxious to get back or um, does it day by day or? 
Yeah, a, a bit in between. I mean, I think I've been busy. Um, I ha- I've been very close to people that I love a lot. So regarding to loneliness and falling into a, d- a black deep hole, uh, it was okay. Mm. I mean, it was handleable. <laughs> um, I, I took the opportunity to take care of myself because I realized that, that my body was a bit tired. But So yeah, some days are, are better than others regarding to uh, the levels of anxiousness because yeah, there's not a lot of perspective out there and this thing is taking way too long. Um, so yeah, some days are better than others, but in general, yeah, I cannot, I cannot wait to get back on the road. I mean, I'm, I'm, by now, I'm, I am fully rested. I mean, I have so much energy. Oh so uh, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, it's. It. I sleep. I sleep like twelve hours a night. <laughs> See, yeah, I I also reach up to ten. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sleeping like one of those people in those science fiction movies where they just like you, know, you sleep for like three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, like long term recovery. Well, it's nice to, I have to say, it's nice to talk to someone. I think, you know, I talk a lot of my friends, I talk to a lot of people who, you know, they're very deep into their career. And I'm trying to think of a delicate way to put this. Well, they're, you know, they've been, well, even me, I was traveling for like 20 years every weekend, you know, so I think you get to a point where you're quite, you know, you're really ready for a break and you're quite relaxed, but it's nice to talk to someone. Like basically tomorrow, if your agent sent you a, a, a confirmed date sheet with like 40 shows is your first reaction just yes let's go oh yes okay oh yes but but because <laughs> me it's a little bit like oh shit <laughs> but exactly it, it 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 works both ways because now thinking of i mean you know how busy next summer is going to be and starting from september as well because everyone has been rescheduling so thinking which of which summer it, you 2021 or 2022 2021 i think a lot of, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I'm oh, shit. oh no it's, yeah. i'm not ready yeah well no exactly i mean looking thinking of that um, i already start getting a bit anxious and be like fuck i'm how, how am I going to do it? Because if I just now, if, if I go to bed one time at 2 a.m., I'm exhausted the day after. Same. So Same. I'm completely not used to it anymore. So, um, but I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I love that life. So I cannot wait to go back, but in a more sustainable way. Like I'm not going to fly around uh, the United States and do uh, day one in LA, day two in New York, and then day three back to Las Vegas because I used to tour like that. So now maybe I would try and plan New York on another date. You know, that, that's some stuff I learned. I've barely thought about it. I really don't. I'm very busy with new projects and excited with new things. But when I, a couple of times I just looked back in an old calendar and I, and I was like, what, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, why? Like what? That was not necessary. <laughs> anyway, I think a lot of people are going to go through that adjustment and probably it's going to make everything a lot better. You know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we can only learn from this and our time off. And I just, I mean, I think it's good if you, if you were able to stay productive somehow and, and to not get lost because it's, it's been, yeah, it's been a very tough uh, period. 2020 it has been a tough year for a lot of people. And, uh, I just hope we'll all get through it somehow. What's a moment, I, I was curious, a moment in your career where you thought like, yes, I've made it. Privately, where you were like, mm. like, I did it. Oh, tough. I think, um, well, maybe three years ago when I made it on the cover of DJ Mag for the first time. This was really something something materialistic. I mean, you could hold this magazine. Oh, it's something you can, you can show your grandma. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I gave her a copy. <laughs> I gave my entire family a copy. Um, and that's just something so, you know, you can touch it. So, yeah, that was probably a... The time where I said, like, hmm, you know, I really cannot complain. This is This is... I made it. If I, you know, if you're on the cover of DJ Mac, I made it. That was one of those moments. Of course, I mean, I, there's always work, and you know, you will never fully make it. But I mean, that was a, a pure moment of happiness, definitely. That's a, yeah. Oh, I like that one, and you get to see it in the in the airport, and that's me. <laughs> yes. that's, that's me. That's me right there. Is there a specific opening track that I can play of the ones you 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 gave me? Maybe the Fluxion one. The idea. Oh no, oh shit, that's the only one that's not in there because I uh, I couldn't find it because I've been in between laptops. This is this is Charlotte Duet's uh, opening record. Yes, and if you want if if you cannot find that one you can go for the Jocasti and Neck range. Yeah, you sent me a bunch of you sent me fifth like a bunch of techno records. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, no, I don't mean it's surprising, but you know, I'm, I'm used to, you know, sometimes I get a bunch of techno records and sometimes oh. I get, you know, an Iggy Pop, a David Bowie, a techno, and, and I, I have to, so this one's harder for me because I don't, I don't know all the okay, records. Okay, okay. Um, I, I have a question about techno. Um, it's kind of a, maybe a bit of a selfish question. Um, I always, so I've heard you play and I've played with you and, and you fall into a category for me, like most of the good techno DJs, where um, there's like a purity, there's like a focus, there's, a, there's a, a discipline, I guess is a word that comes to mind, a discipline in style and, and, and kind of an ability to stay, you know, for a few hours at least with, with quite a specific energy. And as much as I always loved techno, I really never could do that. It's not in my personality. I would just like, I, I could last maybe half hour with like a straight kick. And then I'd, I'd go into something else or, or move around a lot more. Was that, is that something that kind of comes natural to you? Or is it something that's a challenge for you? You know, do you have a folder of records that you're like, oh, I want to play these, but they don't fit in? Or is it, or have you really found a sweet spot that you're comfortable with? Hmm, I, I think what you're describing and this stripped, monotonous, repetitive, but yet functional and hard techno. But I don't. But I don't mean monotonous. I just just to be clear, okay, it's but not, a bit repetitive, it's, maybe. Well, yeah, a bit more stripped. Yeah, I guess just mean. I mean a, a focused, consistent energy. Okay, I got you. I think I think I I understand what you mean. Um, I think that's just exactly like that type of, of music when it goes too hectic for me. Um, mm -hmm. I lose my focus a bit more. I think that type of music is just what keeps me focused in a way. And it's also the type of music that I love playing the most. So uh, I, don't, it's, it's, I don't know if that's a good answer to your question. Well, it's, it's not an easy question. You know, when I was young, you know, I'd, a guy like Marco Carolla comes to mind. I used to, he'd come to Montreal and I would listen to him play and I would love it. I'd watch him just, and it would be quite consistent for hours, you know? And, and I remember thinking like, God, I love that, but I could never do it. I don't have the patience in a way. I guess when I have the chance to talk to techno DJs, I ask, is that, does it seem like patience to you or is it just natural? I guess it's natural. I think, yeah, <laughs> no, I think it comes natural. I think that that type of music selection is just what what speaks to me the most. And even if I'm playing all nighters, I mean, obviously you start a bit more ambient and you build it up. But I think almost any track just falls within that category of of music. You know, that that functional uh, music that you were describing. I think. Do you have a lot of records that you want to play and feel you can't play? Not really. Maybe some some records and those those old ravey records they can be uh, way too fast for a two hour set. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless for the I mean, if you're doing a live stream, it's easier to just build it up a bit faster because you get one hour where you can showcase your your style. Um, but in a normal set, I I probably wouldn't take it up so much. Also to respect the DJ who's playing uh, after me. Um, so, <laughs> but but usually I I. I'm the other way around. That's the chance. It's that last record that's a chance to totally fuck with them. Oh, like, man. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is why you always take a break. That's why you True. always turn it down. <laughs> it's because of people like you, man. It's because of people like you. <laughs> what? Um, so uh, you are allowed to choose, well, you're forced to choose one of your own productions, a record that you made that you feel uh, really good about, your favorite. Okay. I think my favorite would be uh, Return to Nowhere. That got released in June. Um, yeah, Skadilimi was the track that got well, the, the, got charted the most, and I also expected that. I didn't expect uh, Return to Nowhere to um, to top that one, but Return to Nowhere is just like with the vocals. They're just like floating around. They're there. It's very like r repetitive. It's loopy. Um, it's a bit hypnotizing in a way, so um, I think it's it's one of the yeah the, the best tracks I uh, I ever made.
about image. I love image in general with music. I, I always, I enjoyed it for myself. I always thought it was really, really important and fun. And I think it adds to the music. For myself, I always thought of it in terms of album covers. So I would have an idea and I want it to look a certain way for an album cover for a specific kind of moment in time. And then after that, it was done. So it was a bit of like a, more like an art project. Mm -hmm. Now you are like with Instagram and everything, you, I guess it's, it's, it's pretty much a different world where it's, it's much more consistent. You know, there's, you're appearing so often, whether it's you that's doing it or someone else. I was wondering like, what does it feel like to, to have, let's say so many followers on Instagram? Does, is it, is it pressure? Is it fun? Is it? Um, I think, uh, well, definitely it's, it's, it is pressure because uh, it is important to be present on social media. I mean, it's, it's a beast you cannot fight. Um, so I learned how to perfection, perfectionize, if that's a word. Yeah, perfect um, it. To perfect, yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're, good, you're good at it. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> by, by just like, collecting enough content in advance because the pressure often comes from not having content to post and then you have to look for stuff and then it just absorbs way too much time. So how I handle social media is, is fast and quick, so I'm not always on the phone. So I just know what to post, I post it, and then I'm done. Otherwise, it's, it's too much to handle. But it's just... It is important, and um, especially in a year like this, when we have zero shows around to talk about, so I can talk about the streams, but uh, I've been bullshitting for nine months now <laughs> without, mm. without any yeah. shows, just trying to look for content to keep the people entertained, to, to try and stay connected, because that's what it's all about in the end. It's Yeah, so um, yeah, you cannot fight it, so better, better play the game. Yeah, do you ever feel like, do you feel anxiety ever because of it? When I don't have stuff to post and I know, I, I, I feel anxious when uh, I'm not taking care of it. So, and mm. when I'm also, because I'm not taking care of it and collecting content that I could potentially post whenever it suits me, I get frustrated if I'm spending too much time on it. So that's why my post, I know what to post. I know when, like when I would like to post, it doesn't matter, but just to have available content. Otherwise, it's just way too time absorbing and that makes me anxious. So as long as it's organized, you're at peace with it. I think so. And I Basically. also think that social media <laughs> is, 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 is something you can learn. Um, it, it doesn't come... I've been trying for 12 years. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe start with, with, <laughs> with collecting some content, but it, is, it isn't fun. It isn't fun. It's, it's tough. I think this comes back to a professionalism. I think there's like a maturity. Here's irony is in terms of generations. I think there's a maturity to just exactly like how you, how you look at it. It's like, you can't fight it. It's important. Be organized, get it done. There's like a, there's a discipline to that. I know for myself, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I have, if I'm honest, it's really just sometimes about laziness and sometimes about, I don't know, just like a, a refusal mm. to just ad admit the reality. You know, like you're kind of like, ugh, like one day you're into it, another day you're not, and then you just... Yeah, no, exactly. Ex <laughs> I th I th no, I think but that's, that's the main reason. That's what makes people frustrated, especially if you're, if you're not someone who likes to be on, on, on his or her phone all the time. It's annoying if, no, if you don't. have to start looking for content and then you have to start thinking of which caption or which emoji to use. I mean, it's, man, it's exhausting. So if you get it organized, it's... it's it, it helps, at least in my case, it, it makes a world of difference. Mm, yeah, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I keep telling myself, it's one of those <laughs> things, it's all, it's one of those things, it's just, it's just going to be on the list forever, just get, get, get organized with it. Yeah. <laughs> For you, what is a peak time record? It is the moment, it's, it's the party, and they are at the peak, and you just, this is it, unleash hmm. um... the bomb. Well, it either would be one because in all the streams that I did, I played a lot of alignment and stuff as well. So, and they are very peak timey to me to what I would play as. Or okay. um, when when things go a bit faster, we can look at Jacidorex with Trave, or at Claire with another dream, and that's already like it's going faster in BPM. It touches with those psi elements in there. So um, yeah, just just 
fast, effective, uh, lose yourself on the floor. set like what's your approach to energy is is it generally like one crazy peak or is it like save or or a, a closing moment or sustained energy or just depends on the party um usually in a two-hour set i mean it's only two hours so you sort of want to to showcase you want to give the people energy so i would say i i, I try to sustain the level of energy maybe towards the end i can go a bit more experimental with some old school tracks or a bit faster depends on the party uh, but obviously when it's an all-nighter you can really tell a story i just feel sort of limited with a two-hour set well i love two-hour sets as well they're really nice because you can get it all out and you give you give them your all um, but yeah there's definitely yeah, yeah needless to say there's a different approach to, do, to a two-hour set and an all-nighter so yeah yeah, I'm impressed by the the two hour power power set. Even two hours for me, I'm quite impressed to maintain the 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 generosity to give so much energy. Okay. <laughs> I have a question about with with techno specifically. I've always wondered about the balance between new records and old records. So, well, techno is nice because a lot of the time the emphasis really is on new records. You know, even they don't. They're not even necessarily better than the old ones, but it's important to be rotating your box and just to be pushing new, new, new. Where do you stand on, you know, throwing in a classic? How, how important is it to be playing new stuff or unreleased stuff versus classics or older stuff? Well, I think it's, it's very important, especially playing new stuff, unreleased tracks. I mean, I'm still checking my promos every single day. I'm still on Beatboard quite a lot. Just, I think it's your job as a DJ to look for new music and to find that, you know, that, that hidden gem that's just released or just or not yet released, just to offer something new and refreshing. Um, obviously, a, wink, a winky eye to, to the old school is, is very appreciated. I think not only by, by myself, but also by the crowd but I think mainly what I try to do is bring something new and, and refreshing when I grew up in the especially in the 90s you would never play an old record it was like you would never ever ever do it okay. there was no there wasn't even a sense of there was not not to be ironic maybe maybe as a closing record you'd play something a little bit older and then I found that I don't know if it's I guess because people are doing so much more digging now and there's so much more knowledge out there and there's so much more access to old tracks it's become. But I often find that stresses me out a little bit how much, how much recycling there is of older stuff, you know, mm. especially like when it comes to disco or re-edits or, you know, now, especially with a lot of like that 90s rave sound coming back, I oftentimes think it's not healthy to be to be looking back too much you know yeah no i understand i understand and uh, I, I can see where you come from as well but on the other hand isn't don't you think it's sort of it comes naturally that everything just goes in waves and in the end everything just gets a bit influenced by everything and now this is just a, the yeah well yeah but i think yeah it's just i think with techno specifically it's a, it's a tricky thing because the origin of techno and rave music especially, was always about looking to the future, you know? So yeah, yeah. if you, if you, you know, so let's just, if you pick some crazy rave record from 93, right? That record had nothing to do with what was happening in 1973. You know, those people were not listening to The Doors or The Rolling Stones or even really old disco. They, they weren't looking back at all. Yeah. It was like, it was... It was the, the ethic was future only. The tricky thing is when that's part of the DNA of a sound. And so now, for example, now you have a lot of people that are, I mean, I hear it when I hear records, you have people that are copying early rave records. You know, they're, they're, wow, this shit's amazing. Oh my God, it's so crazy. And they're copying those ideas. So even though it's, it's natural, I sometimes wonder, it, it seems to kind of go against part of the grain of techno, you know? But more importantly, though, like you said, you know, it's just 
it is natural. It's people are inspired by what's in front of them. They have access to this old stuff now. And it was an incredible period. So I guess it's, it's natural. Yeah, no, but I agree. I think sometimes people should be reminded by what you just said and try and create the sound of the future rather than recreate the sound of the past. <laughs> I'm still recording, by the way. Everything's still well. Oh, yes. Yes. Should I start um, a third one just to be sure? You're like, you're more professional than me. Yes. <laughs> third one. I'm not. I'm not. I just My phone was just lighting up, so I saw no, it. No, no. Yes. Third one. <laughs> third one. Yes. Got it. Got it. Uh, what is a secret record that you've been saving? Now, I have to just add one thing. The idea of secret records, you know, not everyone thinks that way. You know, in the, in the old, there were always... DJs who are real assholes and they would never want anyone to know it, their tracks. There's other people that are ready to share them and broadcast them and everything. But the question is basically, you know, a record that you've been saving for some reason and, and feels secret to you. Well, um, if I do have like secret weapons, I, I, uh, I tend to, to drop them in my set whenever I have the chance because I'm so excited that I found this one track. And then the checklist mm. gets posted somewhere online, so it's probably already out there. So, but I did find this, this one track now the past couple of months. It's called from Grieche, I think that's how you pronounce it, Monface. And it's a, it's a very intense track. It's, very, it's deep and hypnotizing and these, you have these pads going on happening in the track they they become detuned so they're t t sort of telling a weird story and at the same time you have all these hats who are going absolutely crazy throughout the entire track so i think this track if you play it at the right moment in the right time it's it's i mean it's it's absolutely insane and i am a bit sad to give it away because i do agree that if you find this one secret weapon it's i mean Sorry. these are hours of research you know that i'm more than happy to give it to you you can have it i think i think you might appreciate it as well i think it's, a, it's an insane track Actually, I've been at home for nine months and I've barely thought about being at a party. Like, I, I haven't missed the feeling that much. But just when you said, when you find a track and you save it and then you can't wait to play it, that actually just got me, like, excited. Like, I just, because right. that is, because it's the best feeling. Like, that, where you're kind of, like, seek, you're like, ooh, wait, just wait, just wait. Like, mm -mm. you know, you know you're one minute ahead of them. You know, you know what's coming, and you're so excited, and it's the best. It really is one of the best feelings, and even better if it's your own, you know. It's a magic, um, isn't, isn't it? It's I magic know. happening. Yeah, that makes me miss it. I remember in the... Yeah, I remember there was a period where before record box or anything where I would I had like a diary and I would write down my set and at the in the hotel afterwards, obviously only if it was really good. And I remember times where a record like I had little codes for like if it was a record of my own and I had a code for if it was the first time I played it. And I remember figuring out that the sets when I was really excited, th those nights at the hotel where you're like I'm king of the world and everything's perfect and it was oftentimes the more tracks I had played for the first time. Yeah, I agree. You don't know you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know the track, but you haven't experienced this exactly this conversation yet. So it uh, it adds to the magic. Yeah. And there's also kind of that 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 there's a bit of danger. You know, like you kind of don't know because there's other times. I mean, I've played tracks of my own sometimes and. In my head, I'm like, oh my God, this is it. They're going to go crazy. They're going to throw flowers at me. Like, and, then, and then it's like, you know, mediocre reaction. Or you see, you see someone leaving and you're like, oh God, you know. But uh, 
which is also a good learning experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm also always, always still a bit too judgmental when I'm playing my own tracks. It's like I cannot completely let go and lose myself in the track. Well, yeah, no, no, 100%. Yeah. So what is a closing record? For all DJs, closing records are very special. Yeah, well, if, if normally for, for a closing track, I would just play, play a very effective track with, with a faster BPM just to, you know, give that final push of energy. But since the concept is the last track ever, right? Yeah, this is the last one ever. You can't just... The last one ever. I would, for that reason, <laughs> turn it down. So I would go to... I would, I would strip it back down. I would go slow, more emotional, melancholical, because it's all going to end in silence. So... I wouldn't necessarily rush things. I would I would turn it into a sentimental experience. So the track I would go for is more orchestral, uh, and it's gonna make people cry. Um, it's it's okay, one good. from um, Vito Gatto. It's oh, this was a beautiful record. I, I had beautiful. never heard it before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Lots of strings in there. I mean, it really touches, you know, it's a string in my soul. I mean, it really speaks to me somehow. I just, I become speechless and I'm really listening to that track. But honestly listening, it has my full attention. So, um, yeah, the track Raccontare un Ricordo. Yeah, if I pronounce it correctly. So, um, yeah, it would be that one. And we would all cry together before <laughs> the, the never-ending moment of silence. Everyone has different ideas of what the end is like. Some people go for melancholy. Some people want the kind of outrageous disco celebration. Some people want the full squeeze, the last drop of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all there's all different approaches. I think. I mean, they all work at, at different times. I, I like the drama also. Okay. I, think it's nice, <laughs> I like. I have a soft spot for the drama. Okay. It's one thing I want to mention, and it's a little bit delicate. Um, I knew your records, and obviously I signed them to Turbo. I was a fan. I only sign records that I, that I really like. And, you know, I would get little bits of information through the grapevine, or oh, Charlotte's doing this, or she's, it's going really well, whatever. And, and, I mean, I had a sense of what was going on. And then I remember we played together a party in Belgium. I think Chemical Brothers were playing. Yeah, I remember. And it yeah, it was really, it was a beautiful evening. I remember it was an early party. So it was like, not daytime, but it was like, I think the sun was going down or something. And I remember I was walking back to my dressing room. Sorry, I was possibly leaving early. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> anyway, and I remember, you know, they had screens up on the, you know, like TV screens in the backstage area. And as I was going to my dressing room, I saw you on the screen. And I remember thinking, it just clicked to me. Like, I was like, okay, there's something, there's something extra happening here. It was the visual with the music. There's oftentimes moments, you know, where, where the parts add up to much more than just the, you know, there's like a, there's a little bit of a magic equation. And oftentimes when visual meets music, there's something in the performance that's more. And I remember thinking, okay, this is... She will be, she is big. There's going to be this star quality there. Now, the part that's a little bit awkward, not awkward, but I'll give you an example. I know like, you know, David Bowie, he studied how to be a mime. You know, he knew exactly how he was moving and, and he learned the effects. My question is, how conscious are you or were you of, of how you present yourself visually, physically? 
Um, <clears throat> good question. Well, I think first of all, for that show, it was a, a main stage of a festival. So we also took visuals with us. So indeed what you're saying, those visuals, I think they contributed. It was on a massive screen behind me. It contributed massively to the, to the music. And then, I mean, Chemical Brothers came on and my visuals looked like, uh, looked like peanuts. <laughs> But um, but no but but no but but I was no but I'm talking more I, it was more about you as a DJ the physical you know? well um, because sorry I just want to add one thing mm-hmm. I also remember thinking like that's a little bit more what people want because I was comparing to myself I'm like okay I just got off the stage and I played cool music and everything but I'm not I wasn't emoting very much you know and I remember thinking there's a contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying, and it's not too too awkward to to talk about that. I think um, for me as as a DJ, I feel comfortable being a DJ, while as I would be a bad performer. So some for some reason behind my DJ booth, and especially in clubs, I feel safe because not all the spotlights are on you. I often ask as well to not have too many bright lights on my face. So I feel safe behind my DJ booth. So. Basically, I just the way the way I dance comes naturally to the music, but and I don't um, like I don't do too many hands up in the air moves with the crowd. happens uh, happens sometimes, but <laughs> it, it comes it comes naturally. It's it's not something that I overthink. I just sort of go with the flow. But I would be if if it would just be me performing, I would be a horrible performer. Like being a a singer on stage, it would be sort of this. The, the DJ booth creates a barrier. It protects you a little. Yeah, it protects yeah. me a bit. It's it's my little see through shield. Sometimes I think that's why people start DJing because they have the little shield. You yeah, know, like exactly. They, they they don't know what to do at a party. You know, you, you don't know exactly where to put yourself or what to do, and you find this little safe space where you can be yourself. Yeah, I agree, and also it just enables me to feel comfortable. It also adds to the feeling. So uh, yeah, well, it's good. Well, you, lo- I mean, you look comfortable up there. That's the most. Imp- I guess that's part of what I'm saying. Actually, is that some people, as the parties got bigger and bigger, and it, as it became more and more festival, I think a lot of people never quite did feel comfortable and it shows, you know, and I think there's a bit of a dividing line there between the people that really, that have found a comfort zone versus people that have not. Yeah, I agree. And it, it isn't easy. I mean, it's still, it's the strangest feeling in the world to, to stand on a big festival stage, indoor or outdoor, and to see thousands of people in front of you dancing on your music. I mean, it's weird. It's a lot to handle. It's not, it's, it's, it's crazy. It doesn't come, you know, it's not a natural thing to happen at all. So um, but I think, you know, as soon as I'm, as soon as I'm on stage, it is really, it's, it's super cheesy what I'm going to say, but the music does take over and, and that creates my safe space in a way. No, I don't think it's cheesy at all. Okay. I never really got used to the giant festivals as a DJ. If I was doing a live show or something, it makes sense. As a DJ, I never quite got used to it. But the reason why I say it's not cheesy is because, well, first of all, to feel it is never cheesy. It's, that's the whole point. It's amazing. But also it's, it's, you're able to project something Mm. that's i guess what i meant when i saw you on the screen you're able to project something more than just the records you're able to project the way you're feeling and actually it's what a lot of people respond to and i say that out of experience because oftentimes not all the time but there are times where i'm not projecting that much (laughs) yeah no no, (laughs) i agree it's it's very i never looked at things that way necessarily that it's just this this level of of how comfortable you are on stage that just sort of projects and adds to the vibe. I mean, it makes so sense, but I never fully, yeah, gave it a lot of thought, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, there, that's what I'm here for. I just, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now the worst thing that can happen is you start thinking about it. <laughs> Please don't. Everyone at the last party gets a special, a VIP ticket where you can invite anyone in the world, anybody, and they will come. That was a, this was a fun one actually because um, I'm I'm a big foodie I love food um, and it also turns out that a lot of chefs they love techno music in return or this more yes. like electronic side of music in return um, because yeah they often work long and late hours and this this techno music push is often very nice for them to listen to in the kitchen so um, it would be a chef. And uh, one of the latest chefs that I met is a guy from Belgium. He's called Willem Hille. Uh, he okay. has a restaurant. It was absolutely delicious when I went there. And he also has a very rock and roll approach on things. 
So you can see it also in the way he represents and he presents his food. And then he told me he was listening to my music as well. And then afterwards we met and we went out for pizza. And I mean, it's it's all it's it, it keeps on fascinating me that on a worldwide level there is this huge love relationship between music and food, and it's it's incredible. In a lot of interviews I've done. Well, obviously, a lot of DJs are really into food and dinners and the social part of it. And also a lot of there's even a bunch of them that say they would like to be a chef when you're traveling so much. The food becomes probably one of the main escapes and rewards yeah. and, and things to comfort you and feel like you're feel like you're alive, feel like you're traveling. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, my VIP ticket would come to would go to chefs. I should probably say here that. I never go to dinners. <laughs> I, I heard that about you. Why? <laughs> I'm like the opposite of a foodie. Okay. I love good food, but I don't know. You don't care. You don't care about it too much to go and take a taxi and, and make a reservation. Oh God, no. And... no, 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 no. How oh, are you good. missing out on so many things? I know, things. I know, I know. And all my <laughs> friends, trust me, all my friends, all of them, with their lists, and they're always trying to get me to try this and go out. And... <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I understand that there's a lack of adventure in that. That's not good. You know, you gotta. And so the times that I have uh, left my hotel room, oftentimes, uh, the few times I've gone, I've made friends and I've felt alive and I've been super happy. And I'm like, Tiga, you idiot. What is, what, what is your problem? You know? mm. But um, anyway, I'm growing, growing and learning. There hasn't yeah. been much oppor- there hasn't been much opportunity lately for dinner parties. Well, no, so. no, exactly, and I, I mean it also it's it's it is a bit demanding every single time to go and leave your yes. sa- the safety of the hotel room. I exactly. agree, but, but it's 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 very it's worth it. Yeah, but, I, know, I mean I I, I understand what you're saying. I I mean I'm not not judging at all. Whatever works for you, you know. Also, it, things changed. Like the first ten years, it was much more adventure and making friends, whatever. And I think the last ten years, it became a lot of the time. It's like sleep versus everything else so it's like sleep versus dinner sleep versus work you know and Mm. sleep sleep wins often i know it's it's like the least rock and roll thing you can say but i became i I became a collector of naps yeah no but (laughs) i collect naps like 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 fine wines no nice one but naps are i mean extremely important whenever you can wherever you can if you're on tour they're gonna save you i think i've taken one nap in nine months which is awesome so you you're super rested and obviously you you haven't been in a club for a long time (laughs) so charlotte who plays your after party first of all are you like an after party person uh yeah occasionally yes okay yeah I think yeah when I don't know when, when it's when, important when yeah 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 it is I think it is important it is important to experience after parties from time to time to uh, yeah I don't know um, when you feel comfortable it's the right time to write setting just delve into it and uh, yeah so who would play your this is your you just played your last party ever and it went amazing and it ended in tears and drama <laughs> and now you're on to a second location and who who would you trust to play well um if i would stay within the realms of techno um i would still go but i would go back to something it could be more, anything but i'd yeah it, it could it could go like from from 60s to 70s to to, to like more psy trends but the thing i picked here and now is again um techno but a bit more loopy and ominous a bit more hypnotizing and I cannot tell you a specific DJ, but I can tell you two tracks that would really fit my vibe at that moment. And one of them is from Alias Dolby. The track is called Obscure Faces. particular person you don't want to hear you you don't want to hear Sven or DJ Harvey or well (laughs) probably but I I base myself more on the okay no I base myself more on 
like a, a track per track thing instead of picking an artist for the whole repertoire I just picked one one like one track I would like to hear at an after party and that or, or two tracks in this case and then that would be those two tracks was there ever a particular an actual you're gonna have to give me a name was there ever a particular DJ at one point or another who you looked up to uh i think in, uh, yeah um i think when lanfaki released his uh, strange disability podium mix oh my god yeah i mean i completely lost my heart to that one i got nuts i'm crazy yeah that's one of my all-time top 10 I think. yeah that is that is a good one that actually like pissed me off like i remember being in <laughs> yeah. i remember being in studio so many times just like trying to get to that mixture of rave energy with techno just just not boring exciting but not cheesy at all just i don't know whatever that is i it, it really drove me crazy for a long time yeah I, I, i feel it's, you it's a it's a perfect record i feel you I might just put a little bit of that on here, even though it's, on, <laughs> okay. it's not the after party track. But this is a strange question now, because in the pandemic, it's kind of almost came true. But when it's all over, when you're not, if you were not DJing, what would you do? Well, oh, very, very, very tough question. Uh, I mean, I started DJing when I was very young. It's all I ever did. Um, I, re I attempted one year of law school when I was 18. Uh, it, di it didn't turn out, but I, I was genuinely interested in, in you know, in, in learning how things work. So, but I mean, I was, I, yeah, I didn't finish it. I had a lot of fun that year, but uh, I didn't get very good grades. So I don't know, maybe it would be something, if it has to be something completely different, maybe something law related. Um, I don't know, for some bizarre reason as a kid, I wanted to become an uh, an archaeologist. I don't know, because I was a bit... That's fast. a good one. That's great. Yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea. I mean, ideally, I was addicted to watching The Mummy, and I'm not, not into horror movies anymore at all. But from watching The Mummy, I got this fascination for Egypt and ancient Egypt, Egyptian culture. And so, yeah, I wanted to become an, an archaeologist. Yeah, I, I was like that with Indiana Jones. I see, look, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a classic. It's, it's a classic, but I don't know. I mean, especially in a situation like now, if if there would be another pandemic in the 10 years from now, hopefully I can just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Just, I don't know, try and live off the, buy a piece of land somewhere and be just self-sustainable and be off the grid because, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. I I would lose my purpose a bit, you know, so it's a very tough question. It's nice when you're at a stage and you're with your music and your career where you feel 100% that it is your purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a... I always think that the, the number one, the best thing that ever happened to me was, and maybe it's similar to you, it's if you can, if you can find that purpose when you're very young, it's it's, that's all the luck you'll ever need. Everything afterwards is secondary because if you have that kind of direction and you have young crazy energy you really can go uh, very very far so if you're lucky and it hits you when you're 16 or 17 
um, it's it's a very good fortune. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's magic. Charlotte, uh, it's been a total pleasure. Um, I I want to say that just you know everyone at Turbo and stuff, we're always very we're quite proud, and we it's been a pleasure to see your career grow. A great vibe overall. So I'm really happy you took the time to talk. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invite as well, and. Uh, I mean, yeah, for all the support, you've been one of the early supporters from, what was it, 2015? So um, it was a big thing. So thank you for that. I won't forget. No problem. Thank you, guys. It's, it's, it's our pleasure. That's it, really. And I, I can't wait till the parties are going again, and we will talk again soon. That's cool. Thank you so much. If you love this podcast, uh, it's very important you know that... There are more podcasts. Now, some of them are free, some of them are half free, and some of them are behind a paywall. And to get everything, if everything is what you want, please sign up to my Patreon membership service, www.patreon.com slash Tiga. 